Hello there. Hello there, and welcome to episode 90 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. Now, this is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If you're a returning listener, first of all, welcome back. If you're new around here, allow me to introduce myself. I am your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's, of course, at Sir DRJM on all socials. So why not give me a follow, especially over on Twitter, where you can reach out to me, you can DM me, or you can tweet at me. Give me topics to bring to the show, questions, comments, anything you've got as it relates to Overwatch, Overwatch 2, um, the Overwatch League, or, you know, Blizzard games in general, or even video games in general. I'm a gamer and I love to talk about video games. So reach out to me over on Twitter at SirDRJM. But enough with all that. We've got a little bit of a uh, of reminiscing to do here, so let's get on into the show. Now, you can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, and all that jazz. And of course, if you enjoy what you hear on this podcast, you can actually head on over and catch the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast, your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant and Canadian Overwatch League, where I am, of course, the third chair with my hosts, Chris and Alex, and we break down what's going on in the Overwatch League, specifically focusing on, of course, the Vancouver Titans and the Toronto Defiant, who both had matches this past weekend. You can catch Ready, Set, Pwn on podcast services everywhere. Now, this is, of course, our final episode. I'm titling this one the final play of the game because this is, of course, our final Overwatch 1 episode before the launch of Overwatch 2. That's right. As I record this, the servers will be going down for that maintenance to upgrade everything to the beautiful Overwatch 2, which we will then all dive into on Tuesday. Now, I'm actually hoping to record this episode and publish it tomorrow, or actually by the time you're listening to this today, so that people can get this in their ears before the launch of Overwatch 2, because once that comes out, of course, that's all we're going to be thinking about. So without further ado, let's get on in there. But first... I want to break things down a little bit. So normally on the show, I go over uh, what's going on around, as I always say, the wonderful world of Overwatch. Uh, I kind of scour the internet and gather the news stories uh, as they relate to Overwatch, Overwatch 2, um, the Overwatch League, etc., etc. However, I would then normally go into the recap of uh, this past week's games in the Overwatch League, do my pickums for the upcoming week's uh, matches, and close out the show. But on this episode, we're going to go into a little bit of the news. We're going to talk about uh, my pickums for the upcoming matches in the Overwatch League, and then we're actually going to look back. We're going to reminisce a little bit. So if you're feeling all nostalgic right now because Overwatch 1 is down and you can't play, well, hopefully you've stumbled across this podcast and you're ready to take a journey with me. So without further ado, let's dive on in. If we work together, we can still turn this around. All right, well, we're going to kick off the news this week by heading on over to the playoverwatch.com website with an article posted by Blizzard Entertainment on September 27th, which reads, Overwatch 2 ready check, prepare for launch. Overwatch 2 is almost here. There are a few things to know ahead of its official launch on October 4th. We have a new SMS protection requirement that's important to understand in order to play, so please read thoroughly and take the steps listed to ready your account so you can jump in and play right away once the game is live. Overwatch 2 is anticipated to be live worldwide at approximately 12 p.m. PDT on October 4th. As a reminder, everyone who logs in during Season 1 will receive Heroes, Junker Queen, and Sojourn automatically, whether they're new players or returning. Players who own the original Overwatch will also receive Kuriko through their Founders Pack, which can be claimed by logging in at any point before the end of Season 2. If you currently have the Founders Portrait in-game, you've already claimed your Founders Pack. Overwatch servers will go down temporarily before launch. It's no small feat to launch a video game. To do so, 
for Overwatch 2, will be taking the current version of Overwatch down starting at approximately 9am PDT on October 3rd. This means October 2nd is your last full day to play the original Overwatch. Thanks for playing and for your support as we celebrate Overwatch entering a bright and exciting new era. With that, you're all set. We look forward to grouping up with you soon in Overwatch 2. So the reason I wanted to break down this article a little bit, obviously they talk a little bit about what you're getting and everything like that. We don't really truly care. We've covered that many times on the show. But they do have a couple of things listed here. They've got kind of these drop downs that I didn't expand on in reading the article because they're a little bit lengthy. But it's launch checklist for existing players and watchpoint pack owners and launch checklist for new players. So if you are somehow a new player, uh, new to Overwatch, check this article out because there might be some things you got to do for new players, I guess. Um, I'm a little bit surprised to hear that. You know, I would assume if you're new and you launch the game, it's basically going to walk you through all this stuff. It's going to say, okay, first set up a Blizzard account or a Battle.net account. Okay, now log in here. Now add a phone number, blah, blah, blah. And it's going to do its thing, right? I, I don't think that'll be anything too groundbreaking, especially for today's youths, if you will, um, who I have to assume are the only people that are, you know, maybe experiencing Overwatch for the first time when it launches. But They've got the launch checklist for existing and watchpoint pack owners. So this actually would be me. Um, I did get the watchpoint pack because I'm I'm in love with this game. So of course I would. Why wouldn't I? Um, and of course they outline required to play, activate SMS protection. Uh, they do walk you through that. They've got the pre-download Overwatch 2. And then of course they've got the merge your accounts where you can uh, merge multiple um, accounts from the different platforms into one which... You know, I've already done that. I've already done the SMS thing. I don't know if I... Well, I didn't do the pre-download um, just because I believe it doesn't actually go up until October 4th. It says here, yeah, this can be done starting at approximately 9 a.m. PDT on October 4th and is a 30 gig download. So about 30 gigs there. So anyways, if you're new to the game, if you're returning, maybe check out this article just because it does have some, you know, helpful tidbits on what you need to do to get your account ready. Let's move on though. And now we're going to shift gears and we're going to move over to some Overwatch League action. So first things first, we're going to head on over to the overwatchleague.com as it reads, vote now for your 2022 MVP. Cast your vote now. The 2022 Overwatch League MVP will be awarded to the best player in the league. From September 30th to October 10th, fans can vote for 10 finalists here or on Twitter. To vote on Twitter, use the hashtag hashtag OwlMVP, and either the Twitter handle or Battle.net name of your MVP candidate. For example, you can vote for Hanbin, Hanbin Choi, using hashtag OwlMVPHanbin or hashtag OwlMVP at Hanbin underscore OW. Visit our team pages in case you need help with any of the player names. Fan votes make up 25% of the overall tally, with the other 75% coming from a combination of Overwatch League teams, broadcast talent, and media. We will announce the winner during the postseason. The 2022 MVP will receive a trophy and an MVP jersey patch for the 2023 season. They've then got the previous winners listed, of course. There was in 2018, Jonak on the NYXL. In 2019, it was someone who shall remain nameless from the San Francisco Shock. In 2020, it was Fleta for the Shanghai Dragons. And in 2021, it was Leave from the Chengdu Hunters. Um... Obviously, all of those uh, hugely impactful players um, from around the league, and exciting to see that you know the talent has been spread across all these different uh, these different teams. Of course, this is MVP. We will also get our Rookie of the Year announcements soon, I assume. Um, but anyways, uh, let's let's take a quick look at who the actual nominees are. So there were ten Overwatch League players nominated for MVP in 2020, all of which who play various roles. So there's 
definitely the most damage players, as I mean, I think it's pretty frequent that that's the case. Um, damage is usually the most impactful role in terms of, a, of an MVP player. Then we've got a few tanks and only one support this year. So on the damage side, we're looking at Proper from the San Francisco Shock. We're looking at Kevster from the Los Angeles Gladiators. We're looking at Lip from the Shanghai Dragons. We're looking at Prophet from the Seoul Dynasty. We're looking at Zest from the Philadelphia Fusion and Kai from the Atlanta Reign. On the tank side, we're looking at Hanbin from the Dallas Fuel, Smurf from the Seoul Dynasty, that's two nominees from the Seoul Dynasty, and Hadi from the London Spitfire. And then, of course, over on support, we're looking at Shu from the Los Angeles Gladiators, bringing the total for Los Angeles up to two as well. I personally think that uh, Proper is probably a shoo-in from the San Francisco Shock, Um, but I do want to see the Rookie of the Year candidates because Proper will no doubt be Rookie of the Year as well. And I know, although I think technically you can win both awards, I think the judges like to spread it out because, um, you know, obviously these accolades mean a lot to a player's career. So although it would be incredible for a single player to get both, I think it it does more for the league and it does more for the overall scene um, and and the teams as a whole to spread the wealth, if you will. So I digress. Uh, My vote is probably going to proper, although I want to look at a few other players. Um, I haven't followed the uh, Eastern region too, too much. So, you know, I do want to do some review, um, especially because Profit on the Soul Dynasty, I know, has been a significant player. I know Smurf has as well. Um, but anyways, that's kind of where my mind is. My mind is at at this moment. So get your votes in. Um, you know, as they mentioned there, you can either go find out find that article on the Overwatch League website, or you can tweet out at your player with the hashtag. What was it? Hashtag OwlMVP. Now, Let's move on. We've got another story, this time bringing the San Francisco shock back into the fray. Over on DottieSports.com, Liz Richardson posts an article on September 29th, which reads, San Francisco shock signs striker again. With the Overwatch League postseason quickly approaching, the San Francisco Shock are staring at the very real possibility of other teams sniping away their lofty standing in the season leaderboards. There's apparently no better way to reverse that luck than by bringing in a known clutch player, even if he's been around the block a few times. In a very surprising move, the Shock announced today that DPS Stryker will be returning to the team for the remainder of the 2022 season. Stryker was a key part of both the San Francisco Shock's championship wins in 2019 and 2020. Three years ago today, he helped the team earn their first championship against the Vancouver Titans in 2019. In 2020, his tracer play earned him the title of Grand Finals MVP against the Seoul Dynasty. He retired from competitive play in 2021 and left the Shock for good, or so we thought. The addition isn't without controversy, however. Stryker joined the Boston Uprising in late 2021, returning to the team he spent time on during the inaugural Overwatch League season. Several months into this season, he was dropped from the team and given an extremely cold goodbye post from the Uprising. Rumors swirled from other teams uh, from other team staff members, that he had been prioritizing himself over the team. Since Stryker didn't have an Overwatch League contract active as of the league's trade deadline, he's available for the San Francisco Shock to pick up and add to their roster. San Francisco is already working with three DPS players, Kilo, Sam, and top 2022 Rookie of the Year candidate Proper. While Proper has skill on Tracer, a dedicated specialist frees up other players to take on additional roles or hero specializations. The San Francisco Shock's next game is against the Toronto Defiant at 5pm CT on September 30th. While Stryker certainly could play tomorrow, he's more likely to make an appearance during the postseason. 
So there you have it. Uh, that one, obviously, if you follow the Overwatch League and you watched this past weekend's matches, you no doubt heard that Stryker has rejoined the San Francisco Shock. And of course, I believe we actually saw him play in the match against the Toronto Defiant. Um, I didn't have a chance to catch a ton of the games this past weekend, but I did, of course, catch the Toronto matches and the Vancouver matches. And uh, yeah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Toronto Defiant did play against the San Francisco Shock. I believe they did win, and I think it was maybe a 3-2. Am I crazy? Am I crazy? Let's take a quick peek here. Uh, oh, I'm looking at last week's matches. No, I'm looking at this upcoming week's matches is what I meant. There we go. It was actually a 3-1 against the San Francisco Shock. So there you have it. Um, striker coming back in. Uh, it was surprising to see him go to Boston, and it was surprising to see him, you know, retire the first time around and then be dropped by Boston and everything like that, and it is surprising to see him coming back to the San Francisco Shock. So you have to assume there's some history there. Obviously, Coach Krusty um, has stayed, uh, is a mainstay with the San Francisco Shock organization with the NRG group there, um, and he, you know, has a penchant for success, and I would assume there were conversations where Stryker said, hey, maybe I'd like to come back, and you know, you can't argue with his uh, his past record with the Shock specifically. So obviously they lost that first game this past weekend. Um, not, you know, uh, integrating him back into the roster may be a bit of a challenge. But then, of course, they did come back and win it against the Atlanta Reign. Of course, ruining my pred on that match. But I digress. They did end up winning that match. So, hey, maybe there's something to be said about having Stryker in the lineup. I actually don't know if he played in that Atlanta match. But I'm just saying things are maybe looking on the up and up for San Francisco. Moving on from there, we're actually going to head on over to our final news story of the week. Uh, yes, that's right. It's a short news segment this week, but we're going to head on over to esports.gg where they have a nice little recap of something that was announced this past weekend during the Overwatch League broadcast. So this article reads, Overwatch League announces new inclusion program calling all heroes for underrepresented genders. This is, of course, uh, posted by Rohan. Uh, that, that's all they have on his name is Rohan, no last name, published September 30th. So this article reads, the initiative includes a Challenger's Cup for players and a caster camp for talents from underrepresented genders. Quote, a joint program of Overwatch and Overwatch League Calling All Heroes mission is to build an inclusive game and competitive environment for everyone. We're excited to announce a few initiatives this year that pursue that goal by focusing on equity, visibility, and community support Sorry for underrepresented genders, end quote. There are two initiatives as part of the Calling All Heroes program. The Challengers Cup, an esports competition in which teams of players from underrepresented genders can show off their skills in Overwatch 2, and a Caster Camp, an initiative that will identify promising esports casters, bracket commentators, from underrepresented genders and provide them with training and resources to improve their skills. The Challengers Cup is additional an additional competitive avenue for underrepresented genders. It will run alongside the Path to Pro and provide an opportunity for everyone to take part. Gender Verification System The Challengers Cup will have a gender verification system wherein users will have to confirm their gender. This is to ensure that all participants are of underrepresented genders, such as but not limited to transgender, non-binary, gender fluid, and women-identifying indiv individuals. Sorry. In a subsequent clarification to esports.gg, Activision Blizzard has also confirmed they will trust an applicant's self-gender identification. The verification process is designed to limit any people acting in bad faith, and thus requires verification of accounts including Battle.net, social media accounts, and self-gender identification information. We will trust an applicant's self-gender identification, and if an individual completes all steps, they will be accepted into the program. Radiant, a production company and platform for underrepresented genders, will host the upcoming Challengers Cup. 
They then break down the event format, which I'm not actually going to go over here, but it does take place from October 21st to 23rd. Then they've got Qualifier 2, which is from November 18th to 20th, and the final will take place in December, although the dates are yet to be set, and that will be the top eight teams from, uh, it sounds like four from each qualifier will compete in a double elim bracket. So very exciting stuff there, um, especially if you identify as a, an underrepresented uh, gender. Um, great to see the Overwatch League and uh, Overwatch as a whole kind of pushing this initiative. It's it's actually really interesting and not something that I think we hear all the time. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think I think Valorant may have done a um, an all female tournament. Uh, I'm not too sure the specifics just because I don't follow the the Valorant scene really at all. Um, it's even possible it may have been uh, uh, female identifying. Um, so I'm not too sure though. I don't want to speak out of out of my ass, if you will. So anyways, I'll move on. Um, but really great to see that Overwatch is putting in this effort. And you know, as they mentioned there, running it alongside the path to pro. So obviously, uh, this is directly meant to be something that feeds into the Overwatch League and uh, contenders and things like that. So moving on from there, the article does break down the Overwatch 2 caster camp. Similar to the Challengers Cup, the casters camp aims to help underrepresented groups the opportunity to build skills and learn from the best. It will also serve as a networking opportunity for the underrepresented. So we, Matt, Mr. X, Morello, and others will lead the programming for the caster camp. The official announcement also mentions that casters will have an opportunity to submit their VODs for review. All camp participants will have the chance to apply what they learned during the sessions and submit a video reel of themselves trying their hand at casting an Overwatch match to be reviewed by our panel of instructors. How to apply for Overwatch 2 caster camp. They've then got the steps to apply there, obviously. Um, and it just walks you through all the rest of the details. Registration is open from September 30th to October 17th, and review sessions are November 12th and 13th. So there you have it. That's a breakdown of the, uh, what do they call it? The Calling All Heroes Initiative. And although they didn't mention it in the article, you can actually head on over to callingallheroes.gg to get you know, all the details provided from Blizzard themselves. And of course, you can actually uh, follow the links there to submit your your applications to participate and everything like that um really exciting stuff though and like i say just really awesome all around to see blizzard and uh, overwatch putting in this effort to uh you know have a have an as inclusive a group as possible um and really welcome all people into the world of overwatch now with all of that said that's all the news we have from this week so we're gonna head on over to do our pickums, and of course we will recap the past week's games the past week's matches um and the scores within and then of course we'll move on and we will reminisce for a minute here i'm feeling unstoppable all right so let's roll on over and we'll take a look at this past weekend's games so of course first things first we had the soul dynasty playing on Friday, September 30th, over in the Eastern region, where they managed to pull a 3-1 over the Chengdu Hunters. Uh, nothing too, too exciting there. Um, in fact, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that is probably what I predicted the match would be. Yes, I was correct. I managed to pred this one exactly bang on. Then, of course, after that, we had the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Shanghai Dragons, and Philadelphia actually took this match 3-1. That's right, Shanghai continuing their struggle this uh, during the Countdown Cup qualifiers or playoffs here. Moving on from there, we head on over to the West region where the Los Angeles Gladiators pulled a 3-0 over the London Spitfire. The Dallas Fuel pulled a 3-0 over the 
Vancouver Titans. And then the Toronto Defiant 3-1 over the San Francisco Shock. That's right. That was probably, uh, along with that Shanghai Dragons-Philadelphia Fusion, that was probably the uh, uh, most exciting or unexpected match of the weekend. Moving on from there, uh, or sorry, of Friday at least, uh, we'll get to some more uh, exciting matches. Moving on to Saturday, October 1st, the Hangzhou Spark lost to the Shanghai Dragons 3-2. That's right, Hangzhou continuing to struggle, and Shanghai obviously getting a much-needed win. Then the Los Angeles Valiant pull a 3-2 over the Chengdu Hunters, uh, surprising uh, many people there. Then, of course, the Seoul Dynasty 3-0, the Guangzhou Charge. Moving on over to the Western Region, the Dallas Fuel get a 3-0 win over the London Spitfire. The Washington Justice get a 3-1 win over the New York Excelsior. And then the San Francisco Shock managed to finally get a win and win a 3-2 match over the Atlanta Rain. That's right. That one was a little bit shocking. Um, I had predicted the Atlanta Rain, uh, especially after seeing the Toronto match. I definitely thought that if Toronto could beat the San Francisco Shock, so could Atlanta. And it was a very close match from what I recall. Um, so... I digress. Good job. San Francisco finally ending the losing streak. Then we head on over to Sunday, October 2nd in the Eastern Region, where the Guangzhou Charge 3-2, the Philadelphia Fusion, and I actually nailed that match. I, I'm kind of shocked it was a 3-2, and that's what I predicted. Then, of course, the Los Angeles Valiant win over the Hangzhou Spark 3-2, and once again, as I mentioned, Hangzhou just looking pretty abysmal uh, this time around. Let's take a look at the Countdown Cup qualifier standings. That's right, Hangzhou, 0-4 right now. Shanghai, 1-3. Holy cow, that is a crazy region right now. Moving on from there, we head on over to the Western region, where the Los Angeles Gladiators, 3-2 over the New York Excelsior. That's right, New York continuing to have these spurts of really impressive play. Um, against the Los Angeles Gladiators, a 3-2 loss is nothing to scoff at. And just weeks ago, they of course the New York Excelsior beat the Toronto Defiant, shocking uh, pretty well everyone, but I digress. Then, of course, the Atlanta Reign get a 3-0 win over the Washington Justice. And finally, we make our way to the final match of the weekend, which was the Vancouver Titans taking on the Toronto Defiant. And in what was an abysmal match for the Toronto Defiant, and a pretty great match for the Vancouver Titans, Titans managed to play spoiler there and win 3-1. That's right. They won. The Vancouver Titans beat the Toronto Defiant. Uh bringing this season's Battle of Canada record to an even 1-1. One and one. Now, uh, best match of the weekend, if you ask me, probably the Toronto Defiant beating the San Francisco Shock, but only because the Shock have been such a stalwart opponent of, well, pretty much most teams this season. So uh, I was a big fan of that match. Um, I would say a lot of people probably were big fans of the San Francisco Shock versus Atlanta Rain match. That one must have been a good one, no matter which side you were on there. And of course, if you were a Vancouver Titans fan, you were a big fan of that final match of the weekend where they beat their rivals, their their Canadian rivals in the uh, Syrup Showdown, if you will, Uh the Toronto beating the Toronto Defiant 3-1. So there you have it. That was this past weekend's games. Now let's take a quick peek at the standings here. Uh, I don't know if these are updated after the games this week. No, I don't believe they are because the Toronto Defiant should have one more win and the uh, one more blah, 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 blah. one more win and one more loss. I digress. So anyways, the standings aren't updated, so I'm not even going to bother to dive into them right now. But one thing we do have to do, of course, is take a look at our pickums. So, 
we're going to take a look here. And from October 7th through October 9th, we have Eastern and Western region games. Uh, and then a little bit interesting, there's actually a week four in the West, but not in the East. So um, obviously that's just because of how many teams do have to play in the West. And of course, I believe this is actually the first week where we're going to see some buy games. So like some teams won't play, but they will play in that final weekend. If I'm not mistaken, the Toronto Defiant and the Vancouver Titans are some of them. Um, I believe the Vancouver Titans will be playing this upcoming weekend, but they will not be playing the final weekend of the season. So I digress. Let's start with the East and we'll clear things out there. So East region on Friday, October 7th at 4 a.m. Mountain Time. The Seoul Dynasty are going to beat the Hangzhou Spark 3-0. That's an easy one. The, ooh, the Los Angeles Valiant then take on the Guangzhou Charge. Ooh, ooh, interesting, 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 interesting. Guangzhou, of course, had two wins this past weekend, one against the Chengdu Hunters and one against the Hangzhou Spark. That Hunters match, I'm looking at kind of raising an eyebrow because that's a that's an impressive win. I think Ultimately, I think I'm going to stick with Guangzhou, but I'm going to make this a 3-2 for Guangzhou. Then, of course, we move on to Saturday, October 8th in the Eastern Region, again at 4 a.m. Mountain Time. The matches start with the Chengdu Hunters getting a 3-0 win over the Hangzhou Spark. That's right, I'm not giving Hangzhou any credit anymore. The Los Angeles Valiant are then going to get a win 3 I'm going to say 3-1 over the Shanghai Dragons. Also, I apologize if you hear a little bell dinging in the background, kind of ringing around. That is my cat wandering around here. We have a, she's a black cat, so we have a nice bright pink collar on her, which of course has a little pink bell, so we always know where she is or when she's coming towards us. Uh, let me get back to the games there. So I'm putting it down as a 3-1 win for the Los Angeles Valiant over the Shanghai Dragons, which is seems absolutely insane. Um, if I do take a look at the standings, of course, all these might actually have this weekend's matches uh, on them now that I'm thinking about it logically. Um, anyways, I digress, or at least the East might be updated because it does have the Valiant in second place after the Seoul Dynasty and, of course, the Shanghai Dragons in sixth out of seventh places with a one and three. So anyways, I'm giving that one to the Valiant. Then finally, on Saturday, October 8th, at 7 a.m. Mountain Time, we have the Philadelphia Fusion taking on the Chengdu Hunters. This one's a little bit interesting. Philadelphia in third, Chengdu in fourth, um, both with records of 2-2. Two and two. And of course, if we look at this past weekend's games, uh, Philly losing to the Guangzhou Charge. Uh, let's see, Chengdu losing to the Seoul Dynasty. But then uh, Chengdu winning over the... Nope, Chengdu also losing to the Valiant as well. Um, hmm. Hmm, very interesting. Very interesting. Well, I don't know what's going to happen here. This match could be a toss-up, but I'm going to give it to Philly, and I'm going to say it's a 3-2 match because I feel like it. Moving on from there, Sunday, October 9th, we have the Shanghai Dragons taking on the Chengdu Hunters, and I'm giving this to Chengdu, 3-1, meaning Shanghai does not get a single win on this uh, tournament cycle. Moving on from there, our final match in the Eastern Region at 5.30 a.m. Mountain Time, Sunday, October 9th, is the Seoul Dynasty playing against the Philadelphia Fusion, and I'm going to give it to Seoul. I'll give it 3-1. The 3-1 always feels like a cop-out because, you know, I want to give Philly some credit, but I don't want to, you know, give them too much credit, but I just don't think they're going to take them 3-2. So I think it'll be a 3-1 there. Now, let's move on to the Western region, where, of course, on Friday, October 7th, we start things off with the Houston Outlaws beating the Paris Eternal 3-0. That's an easy match to predict. Then, at 2.30 Mountain Time, the Washington Justice take on the Boston Uprising. Now, this is a bit of an interesting one because Washington, of course, sitting tied for fifth with the London Spitfire with a record of two and two. And, of course, the... Uh, whoa, that's the Washington Justice. The Boston Uprising sitting two and O oh on the... Of course, this is the Countdown Cup qualifiers. I'm not looking at the overall rank, uh, season rankings. Let's jump on over to those, actually. That'll be interesting. Okay, the Washington Justice here sitting in eighth with a record of 10 and 12, just behind the Toronto Defiant with an even keel 11-11-0 map differential. That's right perfectly mid-team. 
And of course, the Boston Uprising sitting in 10th with a record of 8 and 12. Now, all of these teams have officially made it into the playoffs from 10 through 1, um, or at least to the play-ins, where the Vancouver Titans are on the outs, the New York Excelsior are on the outs, and the Paris Eternal are on the outs. I believe all of those teams are officially out, out, done. Dunzo not making it in. No chance. So Boston is in 10th, but Boston has been on the up and up. They've been, you know, working on a bit of an uprising here, if you will. They're sitting 8-12. and 12. Do I think they can beat the Washington Justice? After this past weekend? Mm, let's take a quick peek at this past weekend's matches. Because, of course, the Washington Justice beat the New York Excelsior 3-1 in what was a predictable match. Predictable. The New York Excelsior then lose 3-2 to the Los Angeles Gladiators in what was a good match for New York. And then, of course, the Washington Justice get thwomped by the Atlanta Reign 3-0. So I think I'm actually going to give this one to Boston. I'm going to say it's a 3-2. I think that's giving Washington a little more credit than I want to. I think Boston could, if Washington plays as they played against the Atlanta Reign, then Boston will win handily. But if Washington plays a little better than that, I think they can take them to 5. I'll give it a 3-2 to the Boston Uprising. That's right, I'm putting my faith in the Boston Uprising. Partially because I don't like the Washington Justice, but I digress. Then at 4 p.m. Mountain Time, of course, the Vancouver Titans take on the Florida Mayhem. And Florida, actually a team that was not in action this past weekend, so a little bit hard to recall how they're doing right now. They are sitting in ninth place with 9 and 11. Um, they did have some decent play, if I recall back. Let's go back to week one in the West. Let's see. They played the Gladiators and lost 3-1. They then played the ooh, Boston Uprising and lost 3-0. So unfortunately, I'm actually going to give them the... Am I going to give Vancouver a win here? Mm, I'm going to say this is another five-map banger, and I'm giving it to the Titans. 3-2, that's right. I'm on the Titans side here. After playing spoiler to the Toronto Defiant, I think they can play spoiler to the Florida Mayhem as well. Then, of course, we go to Saturday, October 8th at 1 p.m., where the Florida Mayhem are back in action against the Atlanta Reign, but unfortunately, the Atlanta Reign are going to 3-0 these guys. I, I think I don't have much faith in Florida right now. I think the Atlanta Reign are looking pretty clean, though. Then the Los Angeles Gladiators are going to take on the Washington Justice, a match that I feel like we just saw, but nope, that was the one against the New York Excelsior, and the Rain played the Washington Justice. Um, I'll give, you know what, I think this is going to be a 3-0 for the Gladiators. i got to catch a Gladiators game because I haven't actually watched them uh, recently. I'm, I haven't been catching a lot of games just because I've been busy in, in my real life, so there you have it. Then, of course, the Dallas Fuel take on the Houston Outlaws in what is sure to be a banger of a match. Dallas Fuel currently sitting in first place with 19 wins and 3 losses on the season, and the Houston Outlaws sitting in fourth with six, uh, sorry, 14 and 6. So, Houston, you know, having a pretty stellar season. Dallas, obviously, having a great season, mostly carried by their first stage and now their last stage. Um... Uh, as well as, you know, a stellar performance in the Summer Showdown, of course, where they really killed it. So I guess, you know, overall, they've they've had a pretty stellar season. So anyways, I'm giving this to the Dallas Fuel, but I think Houston is not to be underrated. And I'll say it's going to be a... Is it going to be a five-matcher? I'm going to say it's a 3-1. Three, three it's also a live match, if I'm not mistaken. I believe they're hosting it live, so... You know what? I'll give everyone home crowd advantage because, obviously, it's the, two, it's the Battle of Texas, so I'll say it's a 3-2 for the Dallas Fuel. Then we move on to Sunday, October 9th, where the Vancouver Titans are playing against the Paris Eternal. I'll give it to Vancouver 3-0. That's right. I'm not giving the Paris Eternal a map, even though they did get one off of a team a couple weeks back. Who was it? Let's take a quick peek here since I've got the matches up against the London Spitfire. But uh, London looking a little bit like they're struggling right now. So anyways, I'm going to give it to the 
Vancouver Titans. Oh, Vancouver, not nearly as good a team as the London. Uh, do the, does Paris get a map? No, I'm going to stick with 3-0. I think Vancouver getting two wins this this uh, this final weekend of matches for them, which will put them at a record of 6-18. and, and 18. Um, You know, two, two more wins away from that 10th position uh, if Boston weren't playing, but I digress. Oh, man, I said it again. All right. Then at 2.30 p.m., the Atlanta Rain take on the Dallas Fuel, which is sure to be a banger of a match. I think this one's going to got to be a five-rounder. Five There's no way uh, these teams don't take each other to five. I think these two teams are maybe the top two teams in this uh, these Countdown Cup qualifiers. Although, of course, there's also the Los Angeles Gladiators, which, as I mentioned before, I have not been keeping tabs on uh, this stage at all. And of course, as we move into the grand finals, we're also going to see the new character Kariko introduced, and we're going to have some patch balancing tweaks and everything like that. But this is what I'm thinking right now. Dallas Fuel 3-2. Then we move on to Los Angeles, Los Angeles Gladiators, taking on the Boston Uprising to close out week three of the Overwatch League. And I don't think Boston's going to win this one. I think Gladiators, from what I've seen and heard and, you know, what I haven't seen because I just mentioned I have not watched their matches, they're sitting 16-6. and six. If I look at Countdown Cup specifically, they're tied with the Dallas Fuel. They're, both teams are 4-0. and oh. I think Gladiators are going to take it. I'll give it to them 3-1. I think Boston's going to struggle with this one. So I don't want to overrate Boston too much, even though I think they can beat the Washington Justice, but... So there you have it. That's our weekend. That's week three in the Overwatch League. I'm looking forward to scoring some big points there. And then, of course, after that, we move into our final week of regular season Overwatch League action before we move into our grand finals. But we're not there yet. I would kill for some tacos. All right, so now the moment you've all... Moment, that was weird. I pronounced that really strangely. The moment you've all been waiting for. Um, if you're here, if you're new, if you're old, if you've you know listened to every episode, which I believe I'm probably the only person who has, but if you're here listening now, first of all, I want to say thank you very much for supporting me through 90 episodes or however many you've been around. If this is your first one, you know, thank you for listening. If this is the only one, thank you for listening. Um, I would truly, truly appreciate uh, any form of support, even if it is just one download and one listen. So we're going to take a look back here. This is episode 90 of One Man Watchpoint. That's right, 90 episodes. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I started around February of 2020. Um, and although, you know, if you do the math there, it doesn't exactly work out because I did miss matches. I did have, you know, some inconsistencies earlier on in recording. And of course, I usually take a break in the summer as I go on some vacation and I, I miss a few weeks there. Um, but overall, nowadays, we're in a pretty good cadence. We've got some pretty good consistency here. And of course, for a while there, I was actually streaming as well. And I think with the return of Overwatch 2, I probably will go back to streaming a little bit and hopefully uh, stream some Overwatch 2 as well. And hopefully, you know, actually uh, get some people watching and joining in and participating just because I like to talk. I want to talk about video games and I want you to be there along for the ride. So let's take a look back at Overwatch 1 and uh, just reminisce about some of the things that have changed uh, since Overwatch first released. Now, the funny thing is I did some Googling just to find sort of an article to kind of, you know, base my thoughts on or, or just use as a bit of a guide. And the best one that I actually found is from Game Rant, uh, written by Dalton Cooper, published on August 2nd, 2019. So this article is actually three years old, but it does highlight some of the big changes that we've seen. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping uh, I'll, I'll read through a few of these. I, I don't necessarily think I'll read through all of it, but um, 
I'll read through a few of these and it might just, you know, jog our memory a little bit on some of the things that have changed. So the first thing they list, and I believe there are 11 points here, is the Torbjorn rework. So of course, when Torb first came out, um, he he was very much a uh, sort of a, a bit of a carbon copy of the engineer from team fortress 2 you know you threw down your turret you built it up um you would you would go collect bits of metal or scraps i believe they were called and you would then dump those into your turret to build it up and make it stronger i believe it went from level level one to two and then when you used your ult it actually made it go to level three where it just did insane damage so um i want to read what it actually says in the article here by dalton because it is worth a chuckle that's for sure Torbjorn has long been a controversial hero in Overwatch for a variety of reasons. Chief among those, his perceived uselessness in many different scenarios, to the point that picking Torbjorn was akin to throwing the match. In an attempt to increase Tor Torbjorn's appeal, Blizzard reworked the character, changing his ultimate to one of his special abilities, and making it so Molten Core would now throw lava all over a designated area. The Torbjorn rework has made the character more useful and popular, though he still doesn't have quite the same range as other heroes in the game. So... They actually didn't go into how he used to play as much as even I did already, but he did used to play very differently, right? You were you were kind of trying to, you know, well doing damage on the battlefield. You were also scouring it to get those little packs, uh, again, those little scrap metal chunks um, to then dump into your turret and, and build it up and everything. Um, so as they mentioned there, you know, they, they actually changed the ability. Um, so his ult became uh, just an ability that you use where it boosts you for a few seconds. Obviously, it's not the same because it's not, you know, leveling up his his turret to that same extent. Um, and then, of course, Molten Core, he spews his load all over the battlefield. And it can be, you know, it has a variety of uses. Obviously, it causes a decent amount of damage. Um, but it can also be used as a zoning tool um, just to get characters or, or players or the other team to back off, give space, um, use to create space, things like that. So anyways, uh, an interesting one, that's for sure. The next one they have here is the Symmetra reworks. So of course, a number of these are going to be reworks because a few characters did undergo pretty significant reworks. Um, obviously, uh, you know, one that ones that will be coming up are, uh, of course, the Mercy reworks, and there was also a little bit of a Diva rework as well. So Symmetra reworks. Symmetra was the game's least played hero, prompting Blizzard to rework Symmetra just months after the game's launch by giving her a second ultimate ability that could generate shields for her teammates. Then in 2018, Blizzard decided to completely rework Symmetra again, increasing her damage output and making making her a damage class character instead of a support. This combined with her teleporter becoming a regular ability has made Symmetra a much more dangerous foe than she was in the game's early days and much more viable pick for Overwatch players. So the funny thing about this is really thinking hard on what uh, Symmetra used to be. You know, uh, she used to have her, her weird... I don't even know what to call it, her weird laser that that tracked the enemy, um, kind of would, would bend around. It was like kind of like a big worm beam, um, almost a little more akin to what Moira has with her, her uh, energy steel. Um, and it was honestly kind of auto-target. Um, it was very auto-target, but it wasn't powerful enough to really make a big difference. And then, of course, her her teleporter as well. You could drop the start, and then you had to go drop the, the, the um, I don't know, exit point uh somewhere on the map as well and you essentially had unlimited range which was just crazy i actually wasn't aware that they that quickly reworked her and and added her, um uh, gave her that second ultimate with the shields the funny thing is playing on console nobody used the shields it was always like what is this shield thing i think people generally speaking didn't know her well enough to use it properly so they would just drop the teleporter drop the teleporter and be done with it um so anyways she's quite a different character now and actually i 
don't mind playing her at all. Um, you know, her, her beam does feel a little, maybe a little too powerful in how quickly it charges up and everything like that. But again, you know, I'm playing on wood tier, so that's probably the only reason I, I find it's useful at all. But at the same time, I do follow one uh, pretty high-level Overwatch streamer, um, and he actually loves playing Symmetra and has some great success with her at a very high level. So exciting stuff with Symmetra's rework. We then have the Mercy rework. That's right. Mercy used to be probably... Uh, the single most impactful support pick you could have because of course she could revive all of your team at once um, you know if you're if the enemy got a team kill she would just get get that as the achievement is called or the trophy or the uh, whatever is called get that big res and res all six players um, it was or I guess all five, not including herself. It was absolutely bonkers. So they've obviously reworked her quite a bit. Um, she has a much more reasonable ultimate where uh, she goes Valkyrie and she can fly and she can, you know, has buffs and, and heals a little bit more and things like that. Um, and of course, her res is now on, I believe it's 30 second cooldown. Might even be 45. That seems a little drastic though. Um, I believe it's 30 second cooldown. And, uh, and she, of course, is a much um, much more balanced character. That's for sure. Moving on from there, uh, the next thing they have on this article is, of course, uh, just categorized as other hero changes. So I'll read through this one, and then I'll talk a little bit about some of them that, you know, are popping up to, in my mind. There have been some other hero changes in Overwatch since launch that are also notable, though not quite as dramatic as the reworks for Torbjorn, Mercy, and Symmetra. Roadhog's hook has been tweaked multiple times, and D.Va was given a new missile barrage attack at the expense of the effectiveness of her shield matrix. Hanzo's scatter arrow ability was replaced with the more useful storm arrow, and there have been a variety of other small changes as well. Blizzard's desire for balance will see plenty more hero balance changes and reworks in the game moving forward. So of course they hit on a couple of there. Um, I actually wasn't aware that Roadhog's hook was tweaked as much as it has been, but hey, there's one. Um, I do remember the D.Va tweaks. I, I remember when she got the missile barrage and thinking, wow, this is like basically totally different from how she was before but i actually don't really remember what she was like before so it's really kind of interesting i'd have to i'd have to go back and and you know watch some really old school uh um videos of her or something like that um because i don't i struggle to remember how she played before but you know at the time i wasn't really playing tank so that's probably why and then, of course, everyone remembers Hanzo's Scatter Arrow, which was just completely broken. Um, I was on Twitter today, and there's just some fantastic highlight reels of Hanzo back when he still had the uh, Scatter Arrow. I watched one today where um, you could actually... <laughs> this is actually a funny thing. Um, back when the game first dropped, you could actually get team kills, uh, so kill your own teammates uh, by accident with certain abilities. And, of course, Hanzo's Scatter Arrow was one of the most dangerous. So early on, I watched the, or I watched this video very early on, um, Hanzo shooting a scatter arrow into a room in Eichenwald and it nuking his, I think, three of his teammates um, <laughs> instead of actually taking out the enemy. So hilarious stuff there. Um, a couple other ones that jump out at me. I mean, Reaper used to have his little uh, life balls. Whenever someone would die, he could go steal their soul, apparently, and gain some health from that. Um, of course, Junkrat used to be able to drop two mines at once. Now, this is actually funny because I used to love playing Junkrat. And I used to, especially when they released the Team Deathmatch mode, or um, not Team Deathmatch, free-for-all mode, um, I would just annihilate as Junkrat because you could drop two mines. Um, and so you could launch yourself, launch, drop a mine on someone. You could, you were just mining everyone. And it was insane. And he was way overpowered. You could also super double jump because you could launch launch yourself then you could drop another one in it in midair and blow it up immediately and just go flying and you could basically do that endlessly if you time them right so 
Anyways, Junkrat was way too powerful like that. It's better that they've, you know, nerfed his mines where, although it has two charges, only one can be out at a time. Uh, so it definitely works a little better now. Um, other ones, I believe... Um, I mean, those those might be all that's jumping out at me. I know there's the classic image, of, of course, of um, Bastion with the shield. I'm not sure if that was just in beta or that did make it to release, but he used to have a little shield in front of him when he went into to turret mode. Um, that, of course, I, I think that may have been beta only because I don't recall that ever. Um, although I don't think I started playing the game until maybe six months after, after launch. So anyways, uh, there's that one, um, you know. There's, there's been other ones I'm sure that I am not even remembering, uh, but lots of changes, lots of balances, and ultimately I think the game is in a much better state uh, in terms of the hero abilities and everything like that. The next one they have listed here is Goodbye Offense and Defense Classes. That's right, for the first, I don't even remember how long, I mean the article here says first couple of years, uh, Overwatch actually had four different classes for players, right? They had offense, they had defense, they had tank, and they had support. Um, so then the article says here in June 2018, they, uh, the offense and defense classes combined to create a singular damage class, um, which of course changed how a lot of people viewed heroes. Um, you know, there are still people who get frustrated when characters like Torbjorn are not defending the point, um, is what they say in the article here. But I digress, you know, you used to have that kind of split between, uh, between of, or, defense and support um it really didn't make much sense because it was it always was kind of like well what makes this character more defensive is it torbjorn because he throws down a turret um but i digress that was a bit of a shocking one just because it made the the single class group so large um of course we have you know whatever it is 32 heroes and 24 of them i don't know if that math works out let's call it 22 of them um are of course one class but hey you know you got lots of choice if you play dps then, of course, the next thing on the article here is the new heroes. So, of course, we got new heroes. We got new maps over the course of um, the six years that Overwatch was out. Now, obviously, it wasn't to the extent that people wanted or thought they were getting. Um, but again, I don't think Overwatch ever intended to be that way. I think it was more once they saw what kind of a hit they had on their hands, that's when they kind of went, wow, we could, you know, we should continue to build on this game. And this was, of course, also before the idea of a live service game really existed. So, anyways, um, looking here... They've actually got a list of the new heroes that came out. So, of course, things started with Ana being the first one released in June of 2016, which blows my mind. Like, that was barely, you know, three months after, three months after launch? No, actually, that was less than two months after. That's crazy. So they must have had Ana in the works already. You know, that one, that one can't be much of a surprise. Um, they probably always intended that one to come out. Then they had Sombra coming out in uh, no on November 15th of 2016. Orisa was next on March 21st of 2017. Doomfist was next on July 27th of 2017. Moira was next on November 16th of 2017. So we got three heroes in 2017. Brigitta was next on March 20th of 2018 with Wrecking Ball coming on July 24th of 2018. And then finally Ash coming on November 13th of 2018. So they actually had a decent cadence here from 2016 through 2018. Um, you know, we got two characters in launch year, which I mean, hey, the game launched. So call it May, July, November. Then we got March, July, November. Then we got March, July, November. So that that's a pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, I'm I'm. That's decent. I don't think that's bad at all. Then of course, uh, in 2019, March 
19th of 2019, they had Baptiste. And then July 22nd of 2019, they have in brackets PTR. This is obviously when Sigma was just coming out. They have Sigma noted there. Would have been nice to get that final kind of third hero as a nice little send-off um, to close out the main sort of support of Overwatch. I think three years of, of new heroes and new maps was would have been, you know, gone a long way to please a lot of people who were very upset that, you know, there has been a lack of... Uh, of change to the game uh, in terms of new heroes and things like that um, in recent years but ultimately from 2016 to 2019 I mean that's a decent amount now again they only got halfway through 2019 I think it would have been great or it would have gone a long way if they introduced maybe um, another support character uh, in November of 2019 but but it is what it is let's see we got one support two support three support four support in total we got one damage two damage three damage in total and then we got one tank we got two tank three tanks in total so overall pretty balanced but you know would have gone a long way to beef up either the tank or the support category just one more time but there it is oh then of course the next category they list here is the new maps so um, looking at the post-launch maps, now I actually didn't even realize this first one was post-launch. I definitely thought that it was, um, I thought it launched with the game. But again, that's probably because when I started playing, uh, I believe I started playing in December of the of launch year, maybe November of the launch year, um, but definitely that sort of holiday season of 2016. So that would probably be why I always thought Eichenwald was a launch map. The first post-launch map for Overwatch was Eichenwald. I had no idea. What a great map. What a classic one. Anyways, Eichenwald came out on September 1st of 2016. Oasis came out on uh, January 3rd of 2017. Horizon Lunar Colony came out on June 20th of 2017. And Junkertown came out on September 19th of 2017. Now that is crazy. Horizon Lunar Colony and Junkertown, I would have thought those were way later <laughs> in the release schedule, but I'm, I'm actually blown away by that, but Anyways, Blizzard World, of course, then came out on January 23rd, 2018. Rialto came out on May 3rd, 2018. Busan came out on September 11th, 2018. That's three maps in both 2017 and 2018. Again, a pretty decent cadence. And then, of course, we have Paris launching on February 19th of 2019 and Havana launching on May 7th of 2019. Again, they really cut things off kind of halfway through 2019 a little bit there, which is kind of odd. Um, seems like they should have had a September map. Uh, and then of course, uh, you know, like I say, a November hero, but anyways, some really good maps in there. Um, Eichenwald, obviously, as I mentioned, definitely a classic map. I think most people, if you were to ask most people, Hey, is this a launch map or is this a post launch map? I think most people would probably think Eichenwald if they're still playing the game, uh, was a launch map. But anyways, um, you know, some favorites in here, Eichenwald is a great map. Junkertown, a little bit decisive, divisive, but I think it's a pretty good map. Uh, Blizzard World is an awesome map all around. I think that one's really, really fun. Um, Rialto I like uh, quite a bit. Busan, although, you know, I understand it's a control map and we don't like control. Um, Busan, though, I think is a... Or sorry, we, we like control. We don't like assault. Um, Busan, I enjoy. Paris, yeah, Paris kind of sucks. Um, and, and Havana, I actually think is a great map as well. Um, personally, personally, I like Horizon Lunar Colony. I know, I know it's Assault, and I know people hate Assault, but I digress. It's 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 a decent one, although I think I like it partially because of the lore implications, or the not really implications, the direct lore connections it has to, of course, Winston and, uh, in a way, uh, Wrecking Ball or, or Hammond as well. Then, of course, they actually also list here the arcade mode maps we got. So we got 
Eco Point Antarctica, which is an elimination map, uh, came out on November 15th of 2016. We got Black Forest, another elimination map, on May 23rd, 2017. We got Castillo, which is another elimination map, uh, May 23rd, 2017. And Necropolis, another elimination map, May 23rd, 2017. So all three of those uh, came as an elimination. Uh, I think this is when elimination came out. Oh, no, it came out. No, it was already out. I digress. Um, they came out together May 23rd, uh, 2017. Then Chateau Guillard, a deathmatch map, came out on August 29th, 2017. Uh, Chateau, one that I am quite familiar with as I did used to play quite a bit of deathmatch, as I mentioned there, playing Junkrat. Then got the Capture the Flag match, which uh, map, sorry, which I'm actually not even going to try to pronounce because I don't know how to pronounce it. It's A-Y-U-T-H-T-H-A-Y-A. This came out on February 8th, 2018. And then Petra, another deathmatch map, coming out on May 19th, 2018. And then, of course, they've also got Lucio Ball, which they released there with Estadio das Ras coming out August 2nd, 2016, Sydney Harbor Arena coming out August 8th, 2017, and Busan Stadium on August 9th, 2018. So you can kind of see the Lucio Ball matches uh, or event coming around there uh, August of every year for 16, 17, 18. Of course, we move on from there. Um, they obviously have uh, had many problems with toxicity in the world of overwatch and so they introduced the endorsement system um a system that you know i don't really think makes that much of a difference but i enjoy endorsing people um you know i at the end of my match i always give out some endorsements just because i think it's i think it's the right thing to do um so you know i usually do go for that uh, that middle one that it, it escapes me what it is the first one is sportsmanship the next one is purple and then the final one is of course shot collar um I can't for the life of me remember what the middle one is, even though I was literally just playing the game before I started recording this. But anyways, I enjoy the endorsement system. Of course, they've then uh, introduced sort of new ways to get skins. They kind of started um, doing things with uh, outside of the loot box range thing. Um, you know, they started doing special events. They started, of course, doing the, you know, get wins, um, get get skins and things like that, get sprays and things like that. So exciting stuff there. Also, they introduced the workshop mode, which did not launch with the game, and of course, custom games as well. Something that I, as a console player, never really dove into that much. Um, although, again, you know, with Overwatch 1 ending, I started to take a peek at the workshop games, uh, literally just not this night, but last night. And uh, I had a great time with a particular Rhine uh, spawning, I don't know, arena mode that I found. Um, it was a lot of fun, but, you know, not something that I typically dabble in, but exciting stuff and great to see them giving those kind of creation tools to the player, of course. And then the final item they list on here, of course, probably one of the biggest changes to the game was, of course, the roll queue. So naturally, when the game came out, um, if I'm not mistaken, when it came out, you could actually have as many people choosing as many or choosing the same character as as you wanted. Um I could be wrong about that. It could be only one selecting each. Maybe it's just total mayhem that I'm thinking about that. Anyways, I it's it's all the same. Um, but Roll Queue, when Roll Queue came out, it was a big deal. Uh, they this is was essentially the death of the goats meta when it came to the Overwatch League, and I think it probably really kind of uh, managed to balance things out quite a bit more in terms of matches. Obviously, when you play quick play now, you choose. You want to play tank, support, or uh, damage. And of course, when you do competitive, you do the same. Um, I am a big fan of the fact that they introduced a competitive open queue where you can break out from that uh, 2 2 2 But I think the roll queue uh, is probably one of the probably one of the most balancing changes that they've introduced to the game. And with that... That takes us to the end of our 
little walk down memory lane. Of course, I hope you had fun, as I did. Um, I had, I'd been wanting to do this, I'd been meaning to do this, and of course I kind of left it to last minute, and now that I'm doing it, um, I'm excited. I'm ready for Overwatch 2. I've been playing Overwatch 1 uh, this past weekend pretty well nonstop. Um, I actually, I think I got 975, whatever they're called, Overwatch coins, credits, whatever they are these days. Um, and I was really tr hoping to just get a last 25 in a loot box or something so that I could buy a 1,000 skin, any anyone. And of course, I grinded it out and I just, I'm not getting coins right now. I'm just getting skins and sprays and voice lines and profile pictures and things like that. But I had hoped to get a last 25 so I could buy one of those for a thousand again, but it's not happening. It's not in the cards right now, but it is what it is. Um, Overwatch 1, a game that obviously if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you have stuck around with and you like in some capacity. If you hate Overwatch, then I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast. That's certainly for sure. Um, so I guess all I'll say to close things out First of all, I'll say thank you very much for listening. Um, of course, this was episode 90 of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Um, go ahead and hit me up on Twitter at SirDRJM. That's at SirDrJM. Follow me over there and and reach out to me if you'd like uh, to bring questions or topics or comments or anything to the show, and I'll, I'll bring them up here. And of course, watch for me to be streaming uh, twitch.tv slash SirDRJM as well. Um, I'd love your support there once Overwatch 2 drops. And... Uh, We'll see how things go there. But you can also find this podcast on all my favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, and all that jazz. Um, however, I was going to say, as with Overwatch 1 ending, so ends episode 90 of One Man Watchpoint. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed Overwatch 1. I hope you enjoyed One Man Watchpoint episode 90. And in just 10 short weeks, we should have our 100th episode. I'd love to see you there, and I'd love to see you in Overwatch 2. But I'll leave you with the immortal words of one Winston from Overwatch, of course. Imagination is the essence of discovery. I'm on fire! <laughs>